Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. Today's programme is all about an obsession with design and with making and with process. We'll meet two purpose-driven creatives who prioritise connection as the building block of their brand operations. We'd spend a lot of time educating and interviewing people and we have a very simple, you have to be really good at your job and you want to spend the day with them. There's a sense of relationship. At the heart of it is the relationships we have in the office, the relationships with the clients we have. Then we'll be in Milan at Salone del Mobile to hear why manufacturing in Switzerland remains so central to the work and mission of innovative furniture company USM. This is The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. You're with The Entrepreneurs. Brinkworth is a global design company creating spaces that build strong connections between people and brands. Adam Brinkworth is the founder and CEO, and he's joined here in Studio One by Associate Director Nick Roberts. Adam, Nick, welcome. So great to chat to you both here in London. Let's start with the studio's sort of raison d'etre. Adam, what does Brinkworth actually do? Our speciality is creating meaningful three-dimensional spaces for brands and creating brand communities within those spaces. We don't say we're a three-dimensional design company and we're good at everything. That would be absolute bullshit, to be honest. However, we do do a much broader range of brand activities with people, but when we just make sure we partner with the appropriate people. So we tease out what's unique and special about a company's personality and then execute that within a three-dimensional space. And it's the strong creative idea and excellent execution that interested us and the messiness of a real three-dimensional space. Uh, and talk to me a little bit about the sort of constant quest to innovate while always delivering excellence and, you know, work that is consequential. Is that ever, do those things ever operate in, in opposition to one another or do you find it's actually it functions fairly organically? Do you have to be very clear, maybe, I don't know, with newer recruits about those founding principles? How does that process work? Well, firstly, it's the people that we have. We'd spend a lot of time educating and interviewing people and we have a very simple, you have to be really good at your job and you want to spend the day with them, you know, so that there's a, a sense of relationship. Because the heart of it is the relationships we have in the office, the relationships with the clients we have. And we're incredibly ambitious and restless and... Uh, tirelessly trying to improve what we do and sometimes that's a huge move like a massive suspended cloverleaf bowl in LA or something recently would be I'm really excited about a tiny little shelf detail for Aries at the moment it's a simple cantilevered shelf with a rail that just pops up because the client said hey can I get a store without any rails a clothing shop no one's ever given us that brief so sometimes there's a magic just a magic from someone like Sophia Pantera saying hate rails don't want any there are going to be some rails but if you want to hide some of them, you can, you know. And tell me a bit, Nick, about, you know, you mentioned before we started about seven years, I think you said you're at, pretty good stint, and, and indeed that you're back for more. Did you find that you found when you arrived that you'd met like minds or a little bit of it was it that you felt this is something that I know I want and need to adapt to or was it a bit of both? It's going to might sound a bit cringe, but I felt, yeah, I felt very much like I'd come home, you know, uh, and, and, you know, maybe that's maybe that's why I came back. And I think it is about shared ideals, shared attitude, shared approach to what we do. I think our, our clients recognise that. As Adam said, it's about relationships. It's not about 
trend, for instance. It's not about whatever, you know, the buzzword might be. It's about creating relationships with the clients and, and the brands that we work with and, and the people that we work with. There's a huge change digitally, you know, in our lives, isn't there? <coughs> with social media, we're all into our telephones, etc. And that, and some of that is amazing. So that I'm going to sound big. I did a PhD, which if you knew me well, and I've just put doctor on my, uh, on my signature for the first time. And I've had a lot of people being quite rude back at me to be frank I was dreadful at school and academically I was much better at college when I found something I enjoyed doing quite frankly and I've learned as I've matured you find out what you're good at and then you get on with it but a personal story about this PhD I was invited to do it with a friend of mine and that's a bit like finding out what you're really crap at and then really beating yourself over the head for four years to, to write it but what I found with that process is that I really enjoyed doing a lot, a lot of research. And I went to see, I've seen other design companies, and as Nick just said, experiences. Everyone kept talking about, let's have the wow factor, let's have the experience. I'm like, what's under all that business? You know, and we have this adapted through the company's sort of a simpler strategy, which is when we're working with the real physical space is a place for relationships and real inhabitants, you know, and for brands to communicate. That's really where you come in person. You know, it's not like a text message, which you can take time to reflect and answer. It's a real physical space. It's just about as scary as it is sitting here with you. And I've no idea what you're going to ask me. And I don't even know what I might answer. But (laughs) there it is at the heart of it. You know, we have this strategy where we say, you know, brand would come to us and we go, okay, who are you? What is your purpose? Who are you talking to? And rather than a customer, we often talk about someone who's integrated into it. So it's almost, what's the word we use, Nick? Remind me. Yeah, I mean, um, I think participant rather than a customer. So yeah. it's it's the brand, it's the participant. What conversation and relationship are they having? Where are they having that relationship? So there's the space. So between that is how you create a community, and that feeds back to a circular relationship, be it online and be it in physical spaces. And that that's the stuff that you can do. And that's why a lot of our brands that have become really smart online turn into fantastic physical retailers because they know their customer. They've had to react to all the difficulties of changing technology. They've got a flat screen, some moving image. They don't have the same tools as a physical space. So what are all the extra things you can do? And how can the two pieces come seamlessly to have this kind of holistic approach to a relationship? And we really believe that it's about the relationship not just the one night stand, it's the relationship you have with a brand. The one night stand might have to be fantastic as well as the a 10 year relationship, you know, it's what you do together and then where you do it. Well, just on that point, so what happened then, and I think we've long been interested here at Monocle, of course, in bricks and mortar retail and how the sense of brands, the impressions, the instincts people have are reflected, are they met, are they challenged, are they built upon with physical engagement? Obviously 2020, you're then in this environment where it's much more difficult even to travel, to go and look at sites, far less to start engaging and to have that participation, that very active process you're both talking about. How did that change, I don't know, your practice, your attitude? Or was it one of those things, Adam, where actually absence, the, the, the difficulty in doing that, underscored how fundamentally important and fundamental to your practice it was to continue doing it? Yeah, better together, the, the closeness and the relationship. You know, you, you can't form a really solid close, intimate, giving relationship as easily on a Zoom call. But 
having had to do that, thank goodness we have all that technology because we're able to stay in business, still deliver projects throughout the world as one part of the world's closed, another part opened up. And I think we, you know, we're working very hard to be a lot more sustainable. I know everybody's talking about this and we'd like to say it's working progress. We've applied and we fit the criteria for B Corp. We're going through that whole process. But part of that is, quite frankly, getting on aeroplanes is, you know, mm. If you get on a business class, it's three times as environmentally painful as it is. A premium economy is half as much as an economy to seat. So how far do you go? How often do you go? Because it is really important for us to go. You know, the we're not the sort of client design company who likes to say, here's the big idea, you get on with it. We are perhaps through insecurity, but also out of passion for executing something well. We really like to go and experience those physical spaces at the outset during the process and to the end with the client to say, hey, you know, what works, what doesn't work? And there's, I love 3D things and they, they haunt me. You know, if you take a chair and you turn it around, you turn it upside down, there's always something that's, you know, can be improved. And I think it's that physicality and that relationships because, I don't know, we we can all see, I mean, phones and all this technology is better connected, but I think shallower connected. I'm connected to so many more people than I ever was, but I would say a lot more shallowly than I, than I used to be. So I think it's mm. that intimacy and closeness, that uh, human magic that happens in a physical space and and the relationships you have because it's it's that whole thing with building and construction, all those partners and everything and, and to actually touch, smell and feel those things is, is hugely uh, important but there's a balance to be had so we now travel a lot less well, thanks to COVID. Uh, well, as you say, I mean, that's, it was a force of circumstance but it actually reflects a, an agenda that is really important and people want to not just hear people talking a good game about sustainability or being purpose-driven, but they want to see that you're acting upon it. It's really fundamental. Let's talk about some specific projects. You've alluded to a couple already, whether it's the tiniest detail or the, or the craziest, most ambitious. I just let ambitious, that one out. The bag is not open yet. glorious <laughs> one. Well, no, but can, can you guys tell me a little bit about some favourite projects? And do you know what? We can go way, way back. Go back, you know, is it the very first thing that you ever did or worked on or saw that made you double down and, and, and pursue your careers in the space? Is it always the, is it always the next thing? Are there a, a few things on the plate that stand out i mean nick would just let, tell yeah. us about a couple maybe. i mean I, I was thinking whilst you were talking there about you know the, the effects of the pandemic etc like that i was thinking about one particular project that we did that sort of seemed to fit in that time of 2020 to 20 whatever it ended up being 21 and a half and that was a project in hong kong in central hong kong for the landmark mall and it was a project called below ground and, and really the whole brief was about breathing life into this luxury mall and creating a space for people to come together it was it, yes it was a retail space but it was more than that in the sense that it had a kind of cultural program that was attached to it it actually had a radio station in very in, good in, we in, like to hear about yeah, this uh, in the center of it called Blowground FM and it was a place to both invite brands that didn't have representation in Hong Kong into Hong Kong test ideas had a very flexible landlord model it's a hugely interesting project what was even more interesting about it for us was that we went to view the site in January 2020 we came home and we started to work a little bit on it and by March we were all working at home and what was extraordinary was that the whole office just sort of went to working from home and we managed to deliver this project at distance long distance and you know of course when it opened they, they've had their their own struggles with that but you know what they ended up with was a place for people to come together that has a very active program that is a huge success we've never even been to it 
which is kind of mad, right? So yes, there was an ability to continue what we're doing, but the pandemic brought even more importance to coming together and being mm. in physical spaces. And we saw that in the amount of inquiries that we got actually, frankly, afterwards, there mm. was this rush back to, to celebrating physical space again. One of our partners in the business, he once said the projects aren't finished. It's what happens to them after. It's the activation. Mm. And, and that particular project you're talking about, we often use the word transitory because the point is no one's supposed to stay there long. So there's something from a food point of view, there's something from a, a clothing point of view, there might be something from a reading or all sorts of different companies colliding, mm. all in very short terms. One of the issues is actually it's so successful. Some of the pro clients now want to stay longer and we're like, whoa, hold it. It's mm. supposed to be this, you know, melting pot of mixing things. So it's transitory. So it's, I think it was a Sonos project some time ago. Kevin said, hey, yeah. you know what? It's not finished when the gig's finished. It's what actually happens in these spaces. It's, it's it, how they're activated. It's, and for, for me, that's, you know, for us, it really, I think that's very, very important. And I think that's changed the whole nature mm. in our business. If I thought about it, we used to get gigs go, hey, can I get 400 of those? Can I get 40 of those? Can I get 10? And that can be very grueling because we're very much interested in how, if it's you, Tom, how do you arrive as the best sensitive cultural version of yourself, Tom, in the, a neighborhood? That would be different in Seoul is it is in the States or in New York, for example. Mm -hmm. And we're working really quite broadly at different scales and in different places. And again, I hope I don't come across as arrogant because we don't know every culture around the world, but we sure as try to listen and work closely with those people. So mm -hmm. that for us has meant that the work is much more, we're doing less, but much better spaces. Because if you are investing in a, in a physical space now, you need to make it work much harder because it's competing with all of the online and, or at least combining that, mm -hmm. you know, and the physical spaces we do complement commercially the online businesses that are around and relate to it, of course. So the spaces are becoming much more like venues. And programmable, as you just mentioned mm. with it, you know, and I often say what happens on a Monday morning might be different on a Saturday night. And so the spaces have to fast change and they have to be flexible and they have to do so much more, which as a design company, that sure as makes it more interesting. You well, know, well, I want to ask you a bit about this, about mm. just how you calibrate what a successful project is, because obviously, I guess, on a sort of purest design level, you can say perfect conception and execution but you keep talking about this idea of this progression this change does it mean you have to develop new criteria metrics for gauging how successful something is and you never know what's around the corner is it a pandemic you can't even see a project i guess you have to use different criteria because you can't go and look at it so what does a successful project what does that look like or is it is that itself always changing yeah i mean i feel like often our, our briefs really at the moment are or, or our job is to to provide the brand or, or the person that we're working with with the infrastructure in order to combat all sorts of different kind of scenarios or, or present all different sorts of scenarios so you know so we're looking to kind of design in that that level of flexibility or that level of ability to accommodate all sorts of different activities really within the space you know and we're talking a lot about retail here it's probably important to say that Brinkworth over the last 33 years has continued to work across the board we do hospitality projects we do workspace projects yes we're most well known for our retail work and I think what we found is that 
having that experience across hospitality, workspace, residential has put us in a really good place to answer the briefs of today, which tend to be retail briefs of today, which tend to be hybrid spaces, mm-hmm. where we're inviting our participants into the space to participate with the brand in all sorts of different activities, you know, so it's less about commercial transaction more about cultural transaction within Mm. those spaces you know that's a great thing to say nick so my answer is of course people care about what it looks like and it it looks and feels like the brand but it's more about what it does Mm. not what it looks like it's the activities that happen and how that permutates with the people that are integrated into that brand community that's really and that's what's exciting for us thank goodness we didn't specialize and we didn't because you know the people that we employ want to do a range of stuff and what you learn from one type of discipline you can you know spread those gems of knowledge onto another or something that might be revolutionary in a gallery won't be in a retail space or vice versa so that it really helps us so thank goodness we had all those other experiences and i think i think that's what makes us very much attractive but the yeah it makes the project so i think we do less projects but they're much more involved that was Adam Brinkworth, the founder and CEO of Brinkworth and Associate Director Nick Roberts. To find out more, head to brinkworth.com and do make sure you check out photos of the recent project in West Hollywood, Supreme's Los Angeles flagship, which features its first floating skate bowl. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Next up, we're off to Milan, where, coincidentally, the Brinkworth team has designed and delivered a slew of great projects for clients ranging from End and Jordan to Marnie and Supreme. Do head to Brinkworth.com to find out more. We continue this episode's design theme in Milan. Last week, Monocle's team were in town for the world's largest furniture trade fair, the Salone del Mobile, of course. We even had our pop-up radio studio at the House of Switzerland. You might have seen us there. One of the people who did stop by for a chat is Alexander Scherer, the chairman of the board of Swiss furniture company USM. Monocle's editorial director, Tyler Brulee, was there too. He asked Alexander how USM is navigating its various manufacturing challenges and how it feels to be back at Salone in person. Well, of course, what is completely different is that our Asian friends are back again. You know, that was really last year, very few. And now, of course, even more massively than usual. Actually, we have tonight the Asian dinner where all the dealers that are here from Asia should all join together for the first time. And that is really something. And I think also the city is completely full of people, I guess. You also add the tourists to it that are back too, but it's a completely different site than at least two years ago. Mentioning Asia... I want to just pick up, I was in Seoul recently and uh, was visiting some of your partners in that city. And it's incredible to see how USM lives in department stores, shop in shops. It's a very, very different experience in Korea than it might be in, in other parts of the world. Do you see the USM brand in a way almost performing uh, across the world in very different ways, that there's an Asian approach to how people see your brand and also how you want to market yourself versus legacy market like Europe. And then, of course, a market like the U.S., which in some ways is still emerging for you. Well, definitely Asia is emerging too. And I think the second speciality about Asia is that we have, I think the average customer is, like, I mean, maybe 10 years in average younger there. 
Also, you know, we have these kind of Korea people. They, they present their furniture on Instagram or somewhere, and then it creates a rush. I think that's uh, really different to the markets here, I think. But also, um, as you mentioned, office, home, I think the share of uh, home uh, turnover is also much higher all over Asia, especially China and Korea. Let's, uh, let's talk about the workplace for a moment. Again, we also see the world moving at different speeds. You can go to many European cities. Office spaces are, are reoccupied. People are back 80, 100 uh, percent. Other parts of the world, if we look across the, the Atlantic, increasingly people talk about a real crisis in the workplace and that you have whole buildings that are just not occupied. But what is your view? Because this is still front and center for you when you think about the modern workplace in the world. First of all, I think it's maybe the, the proportion of people that work at home or in the office that varies from market to market. Even I think in, in France we see a big surge of uh, small to medium-sized project, office project again, much quicker than the other countries, for instance, in Europe. So maybe it's a, I, it could be the mentality that they just like to go more to the office or more used to go to the office than the Anglo-Saxon and maybe even German-speaking people. It's different, I guess, in every country how fast people are coming back and how often per week and so And this triggers, of course, a lot of change in the office world. We've heard a lot of discussion about also that maybe companies like USM, some of your uh, competitors, your peers as well, see this period also as, as a time of growth, uh, better margins, because of the fact that also offices need to upgrade and that there needs to be more spend on better materials. Obviously, you have a sustainability story to tell as well because we're actually standing around a USM desk at the moment here in the Swiss Pavilion, and this lasts forever. So this combined, the sustainability message, but also the fact that this is a premium offer for the office environment, are you benefiting from that? Partly, I think, because it's a bit like a polarization, you know, because I think the, the ones that are really putting the emphasis on the office, they are ready to invest a bit more. Obviously, with USM, they can also use the old parts and reconfigure and do completely new concepts without having to really purchase a lot of new uh, material. But then also, I think, so some companies, they have a lot of focus on reconfiguring and others are just more like in the wait-and-see mode for the time being. So it's a bit uh, black and white there. Yeah. But of course, we more see the people that are really active in what could we offer more to the employee. For instance, these plans that we launched before the lockdown, they're very successful now because I think people want to give a bit, the management wants to give the people that come back to the office a bit more like, well, a home feeling or more green feeling or so. So I think that uh, these are all effects of this crisis, I think. I think I might know the answer to the question I'm about to ask, but at a time, you just mentioned polarization on one side when we think about environments and how, how the world is, is functioning. How does USM continue to manufacture in Switzerland at a time when, of course, there's inflation? And I mean, Switzerland's been quite isolated from inflation in many ways, but prices, especially material prices, continue to trend upward. How is it that uh, in 
little Munsingen, of course, very important Munsingen as well from a, a design and manufacturing perspective. How are you able to endure and continue to manufacture in Switzerland? I think the material prices, that's a bit worldwide. I think the energy prices, that was really what was hurting us the most. I think they're a bit local to Europe because Europe has no own energy sources. So everything, especially in Germany, but Switzerland is very linked to Germany, used to come from Russia and, well, the Middle East. Whereas, of course, for this, China or the US, they're a bit more independent of foreign imports of energy. And I think that was the most critical part. It also led to some inflation in Switzerland, but not as bad as in the other European countries, actually. And the knock-on then from a manufacturing point of view, because also the other side of this is we hear about the talent issues and the erosion, the evaporation of, of people to go and do jobs. How do you still keep this attractive, that people want to come into a factory in, of course, high-wage Switzerland to make things with their hands, even though, of course, you're, of course, very automated in many ways at the same time? I remember when I was in gymnasium, high school, you know, I sometimes went to work in the factory and what you had to do is just press a button with two fingers or so and, and the machine was working. But now I think uh, with these uh, installations we have, we actually need very skilled people in the factory. And it's at the same time also the job got more interesting, obviously. But it's true, it's not so easy to find skilled labor, well, everywhere in the world, also in Switzerland. Even though we have this uh, dual system in Switzerland where not everybody has to go to university to be successful. Just finally, before, before we go, uh, looking ahead, of course, you've had a premiere here with ZigZag. It's quite hard uh, to miss when you go down Garibaldi here. This notion of... On one side, you, you bring out novelties. On the, on the flip side, though, people like to come back to the brand. And I know that you're the one who always says as well that you've got to stick with your color codes because then it allows you to replace and, and obviously grow your collection uh, if you're one of those people who has a collection of USM. But do you see that that sort of point of innovation design becomes a more critical part of what you do in an increasingly noisy, Instagram-friendly world? Yeah, that's maybe part of it. Okay, here it's a very limited series. There are 50 pieces of each that we're actually selling. So I'm not very worried they're going to sell quite quickly. Maybe it might be a bit against our overall philosophy where you can add on to each piece. But as I say, we cannot be just more uh, profit than the profit himself. So sometimes we do things like this, and especially in a noisy design week in Milano, as you mentioned. Sometimes you have to stick out a bit, maybe with a new idea, a different idea. But we have also other uh, long-term evolution uh, projects, especially for the hollow system now, that we are looking at to make it even more flexible or even maybe also a bit more colorful in a way. Or And uh, these we will release in the next few years. But these are then going to things that are going to stay, not in this kind of limited edition version as we do now. That was Alexander Scherer, chairman of the board of USM, in conversation with Monocle's Tyler Brule in Milan at the Salone del Mobile.
That's it for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back at the same time next week. In the meantime, do look out for Eureka coming your way every Friday. The programme was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Jack Dewars. Listen again and find out more about the show at monocle.com. That's where you can subscribe to Monocle magazine for more about better businesses every month. You can follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform too. To contact the team, drop a note to Laura. You can find her at lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs. <laughs>